I approach today's message with a certain amount of trepidation, uh, a certain amount, uh, not uh, fear is too strong of a word, but with uh, saying, Lord, don't let me blow it. <laughs> Somebody just called me a honky. Uh, the Lord gave me this title this week. That you see on the screen, I guess you see. Yeah. And the title is, What is going to happen if blank wins the election? What's going to happen if blank wins the election? Now today you're gonna, you're gonna maybe get a little, or maybe a small civics lesson from where in the midst of this. Um, I've decided that they don't teach civics or history in our schools anymore because kids know neither. And kids, shoot, grown people don't know. Moderators don't either. Amen. Um, but I, I was thinking about because and this is precipitated by people, you know, from various walks of life. And obviously I'm talking about people on both sides of the debate, you know, and I've seen people that on both sides that act like if their candidate doesn't win or candidates, that's part of your civics lesson, by the way, there's more than a presidential election going on. If their candidate doesn't win, it's going to be the end of the world. We're, we're doomed. Well, I was born during the Eisenhower administration. I, I, I don't remember Eisenhower. I mean, I remember him being alive, but not being president. And so I've seen a lot of presidential elections, not as many as some in the room. Not going to point any names or fingers. We're still here. I mentioned last week, 1968, we had uh, social unrest and rioting, killing in the streets due to the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., and followed closely behind that was the assassination of Bobby Kennedy, Robert Kennedy. And during that same time, we had a the Hong Kong flu, which killed over 100,000 people in our country. We're still here. Have y'all noticed that we're still here? We survived all of that. Lord, help me. My prayer today is that the Lord would... I got announcements, but I'll make them later. I got the prayer today is the Lord help me to say what I need to say and not be afraid to say what I need to say. Because we, and I'm, I'm saying this is a general statement. I'm not saying it specifically, but we have put too much confidence in the outcome of elections. We, the church, we, God's people have put too much confidence, too much stock in the outcome of an election. And, and I'm going to get you, now, let me just say this. Please hear me till I get done. Because if you listen to part of what I say and you check out, you're going to say some things that I said or thought that I didn't say or think. But we, the church, in a general statement, I know not every one of you, not every church, this includes, but we, the church, 
We've put too much confidence in elections and the outcome of elections. And so doing, we have lost sight of the primary kingdom mission that we have on the earth. We have forgotten why we're here. We think we're here to get someone elected. And we may be secondarily speaking, but our primary, everybody say primary, our primary mission, if you breathe the breath of God, if you have the DNA of God Almighty in the fabric of your being, your primary mission is the kingdom of God and extending the kingdom of God. We must have a proper perspective on government affairs as they relate to God's government in the earth. We must have, we we must see it like it is as the scripture teaches us. And surely our peace, our joy, and our contentment cannot, say everybody say cannot, cannot depend on a candidate or party winning an election. You cannot be depressed on November the 4th If your candidate doesn't win, you don't have a right because you have hope in Jesus Christ and your peace and your joy and your hope is in him. As brother Tim Bryant said one time standing right here, by the way, who will be with us on November 22nd, we need to kick out the donkey and kick out the elephant and make room for the lamb. Sometimes I think we've elevated the donkey and the elephant ahead of the lamb. Hmm. What I want to do now is turn to Isaiah chapter 40. If you'll turn in your Bibles and, and you will need for the sake of what we're going to do and the way we're going to do it, you will need to keep your Bible or your phone or your tablet available or open because uh, I'm going to read through these verses, and then I'm going to go back through them. Um, to, I'm just going to go back through them. I want Because I want us to see a picture. Isaiah chapter 40. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It would, it would serve you well to go back at some point and read the entire chapter. But I'm going to jump in at verse 12. Uh, if you would... If you can, and you don't mind standing with me while we read the scriptures, I'm going to read the rest of the chapter from the English Standard Version. And it reads like this, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span who's enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon, and of course that's not Tennessee, would not suffice for fuel. It could be. Nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for its silver chains. 
He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Have you not been told? Have, has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths grow faint and weary, and young men shall fall. Exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles and they shall run and not be weary. They shall not walk and not faint. If you'd remain standing, Lord God, I pray that you would add your anointing. I pray that you would add your blessing, uh, your revelation upon the reading of your word. And as we look at your word, that you, that our eyes would be open, our ears would hear, and you would show us what you want us to see. And I pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Our God is an awesome God. When you look at the situation that we're in, uh, with the, the, the condition of our society, when you, especially when you look at the angst over elections, uh, we have to be reminded that our God is an awesome God. We also have to be reminded that Psalm 24 teaches us that the earth is the Lord's. It doesn't belong to the Democratic Party. It doesn't belong to the Republican Party. It doesn't belong to the Libertarian Party. It doesn't belong to any party. It's his party. God, it's God's earth. And it says the earth belongs to God and everything in it. And we worry about an election. He said, who, whom will you liken God? I'm sorry. He says, who has measured the waters in the palm of his hand? Just think about it. I just want you to think about this. I want you to have a, I want you to see God as just as he is. Who's, who has measured waters in the palm of his hand? Who's marked off the heavens with his, with the span of, of his fingers? Who's weighed the mountains and scales? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Who has directed, some of your versions will say, who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Who has measured God is a better way of saying that. Who has measured God? Now, you know, these are all rhetorical questions and you know, most all of them, the answer is nobody. But he keeps, he keeps on. Why does he keep on? He wants us to get it. 
Who has measured the spirit? What man shows them counsel? In other words, who gives God advice? Who is it that's advising God? You know, God's sitting there on his throne in heaven and he's going, you know, I'm not so sure about this. Maybe I need to go get some advice from somebody. Who would he go to? He'd have to go to himself because there's no one else. But he never gets there. God needs no advice. Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who helped God to understand? Who taught him knowledge? Who showed him the way of understanding? It says the nations. Do you realize we live in a nation? Everybody okay? Or like a drop from a bucket. And they're accounted as dust on the scales. Look at verse uh, 16. Lebanon. Oh, no, I'm sorry. 17. We're going back to Lebanon again. All the nations are as nothing before him. Now, he's not saying that all the nations have no value. He's not saying all the nations are completely unimportant. What he's saying is, comparatively speaking, beside God's greatness, the nations are nothing. Besides the magnitude and the sovereignty of God, the nations really amount to nothing. And he goes on to say, he says, they're accounted by him as less than nothing. Do you think God is worried about the United States of America? Golly, I wish you needed a better amen than that. I can promise you unequivocally. I, I did say that. I can promise you without any reservation, God is not worried about the United States of America. Whether you are or not, God is not worried about what's going to take place on November the 3rd. He's not the least bit concerned. You say, well, that, that, well, am I going to sit home and do nothing? I'll get to that. <laughs> I want you to see God as God. He's not worried about that. Who will you liken God? Who are you going to compare God to? There's no one to compare him to. Okay, let's, let's see. Here's God. All right, I'm going to compare him to somebody. And you can look around... As, as we say in the deep south, to the cows come home. And you can't find anybody to compare God to. Who is like unto you, O Lord? No one. Who are you going to compare him to? And he's, he's funny because in 1920, he says, and some people on earth say, well, okay, I'll, I'll make a God. In other words, we think, we think we can take God's characteristics and quantify them in something. We can, we can say, you know, we think of God, too many people think of God as the church or the church building. And they, when, you know, your people worship the church more than they worship God. Go ahead. You say amen. Cause it's the truth. I don't, people work, even not just the building, people worship the institution of the church sometimes more than they worship God. Some people don't worship God at all and they worship the church. That's something crazy coming from a preacher. Well, I'm a, I'm a little crazy. Just stick with me. Who are you going to compare him to? You can't make something. You can't quantify. You can't make. You can't make God tangible. You can you can communicate uh, the tangible nature of God to people through your love and your character, your peace, and your mercy. But you can't make God tangible. You can go over there and pick up that chair and throw it across the room like Bobby Knight. But for those are basketball fans, but 
You can't touch God that way. You can't make God that real. Because he's God. I hope this, I hope the Holy Spirit makes this real to us today. Then he says in verse 21, do you not know? Do you not hear? Remind me when I was growing up, my mom was, can't you hear? I didn't hear. I heard that. Has it not been told you from the beginning? Haven't you heard this from the beginning of your time, of time on earth? Haven't, hasn't people told you? Have you not understood? Don't you get it? Now, I don't think God is berating Israel. I think he's saying, wake up, people. It's he. It's God. Who sits above. This is an interesting verse. It's God who sits above the circle of the earth. So imagine the the circle of the earth. And God, in in, in some versions, it talks about, William, do I have a slide for that? I just put it in there this morning. It must be before that. All right, I'm going crazy. It'll show up later on where it shouldn't be. He sits above. Oh, you know what it is later on. He sits above. Because I have it in there twice. The circle of the earth. And, and, he, and it talks about the vaults of the heaven. Here's God. View God sitting above the circle of the earth. Reigning. Ruling. I want to tell you that God is not inactive. We sometimes view God and sometimes we communicate God as he's sitting up there on a throne dozing. He's an old man. He's like me. When I get into my chair in the afternoons, my eyes start getting heavy and I push back in my recliner and my poor wife has to listen to me snore. I'm gone. God's not like that. Y'all going to love this. God has never snored in his life. (laughs) Neither has he slept. He sits above the circle of the whole earth as God. Isaiah is pointing out to us in verse 19 and 20 that mankind thinks God's greatness can be captured in an inanimate object, and it cannot, the greatness of God. Now, when you see that that kind of a God, when you see that great of a God, that sovereign of a God, that God who is immovable, do you think, have you not heard, do you think he can take care of his creation? I'd like you to have been more convincing than that. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. He, you say, well, don't we have a part to play? I'm getting to that. I want us to see God. I want us to see God bigger than he, than we've seen him. I want us to see God bigger than an election. I want to see God, I want us to see God bigger than what goes on in our world. 
on, on being sojourning citizens. On being sojourning citizens. We've read this scripture recently, Philippians 3.20, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. We are citizens of heaven. I want to tell you this morning that if you're in Jesus Christ, you're in Christ, as I said in the midweek video, that you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you're in that state of life, and I trust that all of you are, and as, as Roddy said, if, if someone's here and you aren't, we can take care of that before you leave. But if you're in Christ, you have a citizenship that's written down in heaven. That is your primary place of residence. In heaven. He said, well, I'm, I'm still here. Yeah, you're still here. There's a reason for that. But you and I, primarily speaking, our primary place of residence, our pl- primary place of citizenship is in heaven where God and where Jesus Christ lives. In many ways, in many ways, we are sojourners walking through life on the earth until that day comes. One day, in some form of, or another, one day we are going to be transferred, promoted from this life where we are, when I say secondary citizens, I don't mean in importance, but I mean in place. Where we are secondary citizens, one day we will get our promotion to our primary place of citizenship. But until then, everybody say until then. See, we all have an, we all have an until then or we wouldn't be sitting here. Until then. Jeremiah 29, you you might want to turn over if you're in Isaiah, it's just a few, few uh, pages over. Uh, We often quote, often read Jeremiah 29, 11. And sometimes we don't read what precedes Jeremiah 29, 11. In verse 4, I'm not going to go through it all at once. I'm going to go through it a little bit at a time. But in verse 4, this is a letter that's been sent to the the uh, exiles in Babylon. And the letter was sent in verse 3 uh, by Elisa uh, and to, anyway, it tells who he is. And then in verse 4, it's the, thus says the Lord of hosts. This is the letter being sent, read to the exiles. The God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what he says. Build houses. And live in them. Now let me paint this picture for you. You probably already got it, but allow me to uh, take out my brush. The exiles were in Israel. They disobeyed God with the land. And the land accumulated 70 years of Sabbath. It's not a bad agricultural principle, by the way, to give your land a Sabbath. Those of you who do farming know that. Well, they had neglected to give their land the the rest every seventh year. So they had accumulated 70 years, the land had. So God takes them and allows them, listen to this, 
God allows his people, say his people, to be captured, to be taken out of their homeland, to be moved to Babylon. And he said, now you need to, you're going to be here 70 years. Now, you know, some of them didn't last 70 years. But you're going to be here 70 years. That land's going to get its Sabbath. The only way I can get that land its Sabbath is to get you away from it. You're going to be here. Now, they're in a foreign land with a foreign people, a pagan people who do not worship God. And God says to them, build houses and live in them. I grew up in a culture, a church culture. Where a lot of people that I heard talking, all they ever talked about was getting out of here. All the songs. I quit listening to Southern Gospel music for years. Because all they ever sang about was, Lord, get me out of here. Lord, get us out of here. Thanks thanks to people like Don Portress and Kenneth West. That's changed. But back then, that's all you ever heard. Lord, get me out of here. Get me out of here. How many of you know if what God wanted to get you out of here, you'd be out of here. Uh, even stupid stuff. Well, everything, a lot of stuff we say is stupid. But even things like, Lord, just give it to the devil and get us out of here. Give the earth to the devil. Did you hear me say the earth belongs to the Lord? And I, I began to think as a young person, that's not right. The idea of just, just get me out of here, that's escapism. That's not kingdom. He said, build houses. And dwell in them. In other words, you're going to be here for a while. And I want you to build your houses and live in these houses. In other words, take your place in the community. What community? This pagan community. This foreign community. Take your place in the community. You're going to be here for a while. Then he told them, plant gardens and eat the fruit. Plant the gardens and eat the fruit. Live from what the ground produces regardless of the fact that it's foreign ground. Regardless of the fact that you're getting your produce from a foreign ground. Foreign as in they're not in Israel. They're not in Jerusalem. Plant gardens. There may even be a possibility there of take part in the commerce of that city. But he definitely tells them to take wives. Uh, I'm not even reading the verses, am I? He said, is that really in the Bible? Okay, verse 6. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Now, I may make somebody mad, but I, I, hear, the, you, I hear this all the time. I can't bring a child into this world. This evil world. I can't bring a child into this world. You can bring a child into a kingdom home and teach them kingdom principles and raise them in a kingdom way and introduce them to the king. He said, don't decrease. Now, that's, if, if, you, if there ever was a place where you'd think God would give them permission to withdraw and shrink back, this would be it. But God didn't. He said, here's what I want you to do. Increase. Don't decrease. Have sons, have daughters, have weddings, have families, enjoy life. Be a part of the community. 
You're not going anywhere anytime soon. And then he said a really dumb thing. If God can say a dumb thing, God said a dumb thing. And you know I'm, God don't strike me dead. Are you there? Okay. Verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. What? In the Hebrew, the word welfare, shalom. So now God is telling his people, they're in a foreign land, a pagan land, in the midst of pagans. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar and all those people, they were not going to be on TBN or CBN or anything else anytime soon. They were pagans. And he says to, to his people, the exiles, you need to seek the shalom of that city. What is shalom? Is it just peace? No. Shalom is, it is peace, but it's well-being. It's completeness. The ESV translates it as welfare. So you take that whole package, peace, well-being, completeness, welfare, and you see what shalom really is. And God says to the exiles, here's what I want you to do. I want you to seek that for that city. Now, here we are in 2020. We're living on the earth. We're living in a foreign land. Not everybody here is pagan, but there are a lot of pagans here. It seems like more pagans are popping up every day. But we're living in a place where there's a pagan thought. There's a, there's a godless thought that's rising up in our land. And you would think that God would say, okay, it's getting bad enough. I'm going to get you out of there. He's not doing that. He's telling us, you seek the welfare of where you are. Now, how do you do that? How do you seek the welfare of where you are? <clears throat> well, we're going to get to a better way in a moment. But one way is to participate in the process. I used, I'm getting to it. Y'all you been waiting on it. Participate. Be good citizens where you live. I know people that go their whole lives, go their whole adult lives, die and never cast one vote for one candidate ever. That sounds all noble and nice, but you're not being good citizens. I encourage every person who's alive, by the way, to vote. <laughs> to vote. Why? Because God sees, says seek the welfare. Seek the shalom of that city. Be a part of the process. You say, don't you care who wins? You know good and well I care who wins. I care. I have a, I have a way that I'm going to vote. A person or persons that I'm going to vote for. I would never tell you to vote for the same one. I'll tell you why I am, but I'm not going to tell you to do it. That's not the point. The point is you need to pray to God and say, Lord, what is, what would bring shalom to this city, to this state, to this country? What would bring welfare and well-being and peace and completeness to where we live? What, what what direction would that be? And then you cast your vote accordingly. 
because you're seeking the welfare of the community. Be a good citizen. Don't use this, I'm a Christian, and I, I don't get into that. If you're breathing and you're living in America, you have an obligation. Yeah, I said it, the old word. You have an obligation and a responsibility to take part in the process and vote. Now, you may vote for somebody I don't like. That's, that has nothing to do with it. Somebody that they said, well, if they're going to vote liberal, I don't want them to vote. Well, I, I don't really care. I want If they're going to vote, let them vote. They're going to vote conservative every time. Let them vote. I told you I was getting a civics lesson. Here's another part of your civics lesson. I, re- I referenced this earlier, but there's a lot more going on than a presidential election. Did you know, did you know that the founders of our country set up the three branches of our government as the legislative, the executive, and the judicial? And did you know they set them up in that order? Did you know that the president of the United States is supposed to answer to Congress, not the other way around? So why is it that we treat the president like the king? And we ignore the Congress. So, man, he's getting all you. Are you preaching still? Seeking the welfare of the city. I'm saying that because in in our where we live today, we have uh, uh, elections taking place as far as senators and Congress and all these things. And a lot of people they're going to get in the voting booth and they're going they're going to know already who they're going to vote for for president. They're going to open up that and go, well, who's all these people? I didn't know about these people. And who in the world am I going to vote for? Close my eyes. And if you're going to seek the welfare and the shalom of where you live, go into that booth knowing what you're going to do. How are you going to do that? You got the email. Ivoters.com. That's all you got to do. It'll tell you everything you need to know about them. It won't tell you how to vote or who to vote for. It won't tell you. it just tell you the facts. It's the weirdest sermon I ever heard. Because the next thing he tells them after he tells them to seek the welfare of this city is to pray for this city. So there's two different things there. You say, well, praying is seeking the welfare. If that was true, he would have only said pray. But he said seek the welfare, and then he said to pray. But we must pray. We are praying. I'm not trying to badger us or beat us to death. We're praying, but we need to make sure that we're praying and asking God for his mercy on our community. We need to ask God for the welfare of our community. We need to ask God that he would have his way in our midst. And as Roddy has said, we need to repent of where we've been going and we need to turn and go where we are going and participate in the process. So, what is going to happen if blank wins the election? I can tell you a few things that's going to happen. I can promise you. I can say this without any reservation, without any fear of having to back up and, and, and punt. First of all, what's going to happen? The kingdom of God will still be advancing. Amen. Can you say amen again? Because we need, we need to understand it doesn't matter if there's a donkey or an elephant. God's kingdom will continue to advance into people's lives. 
Isaiah says, there will be no end. Everybody say no end. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. There's no, there's no candidate. There's no party that could be elected into office that can stop that. No one. This kingdom that he's talking about, by the way, conquers hearts. Doesn't conquer people. It doesn't kill people. It conquers hearts with the love of God. I can also tell you that what's going to happen, no matter who wins the election, is the government will still be on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll still be his. Same chapter, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Do you trust God? Do you believe what God says is true? But then you got to believe that regardless of who wins the elections on November the 3rd, that the government will still be on the shoulders of our Lord Jesus. Another one we have a hard time believing is that the king's heart will still be in the hand of the Lord. Sometimes we have a hard time believing that one. Proverbs says, a king's heart is like streams of water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. He directs it wherever he chooses. God has been in control all along. God is in control today. And God will be in control for eternity. Nothing's going to change that. In a recent Kernels of Truth, I referenced, and I think he mentioned it one Sunday morning, I referenced the 1787 Constitutional Convention when they were wrangling and arguing and couldn't, couldn't agree on anything. Imagine politicians couldn't wrangle and argue and couldn't agree on anything. And uh, Benjamin Franklin, who wasn't really that strong of a Christian, if he was one at all, stood up and said, Amen. This is the Granger paraphrase. We have forgotten. We have forgotten that there is one who directs our affairs. He even said it this way. God directs the affairs of men. He hasn't stopped. And he won't stop on November the 4th regardless of who that blank is. I'll tell you what else is going to be going to happen. Is it? And this is sort of a general statement, but God will still be God. He won't stop being God by that. I mean, he will not stop exercising his Godship, his Lordship over creation and over you and me and where we live. He'll still be God. I love these verses. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was. And who is still to come. The almighty one. Now the angels in Revelation 4. Said it similarly. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The God, God, the almighty. Lord God, the almighty. The one who always was. Who is. And who is still to come. And then finally. And they said we give thanks to you Lord God. The almighty. The one who is. 
and who always was, for now you have assumed, watch this, you have assumed your great power and you've begun to reign. That's the kind of God that was, is, and will, and is to come and will always be reigning and governing over his creation and sitting above the circle of this earth. That's the next thing. Here it is, William. He will still be sitting above the, above the circle of the earth. He's not going to be removed. He's not going to be, to be altered. He will always be sitting in that place of authority and governorship and sovereignty over the circle of the earth, over the vault of the heavens. Verse 22. Uh, well, we're back at Isaiah 40 now. He says, uh, it's, it's uh, the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Now that's a good thing, saints. Don't, don't get mad that God just called you an insect. If a grasshopper is an insect. Don't get mad that God just called you a grasshopper. He's saying, comparatively speaking, to the magnitude of God, to the greatness of God, comparatively speaking, we're just grasshoppers. We don't even compare to Him. He says he takes the heavens and stretches them out like a curtain. He stretches the heavens out like a curtain over all of his creation. It says he spreads them like a tent to dwell in. And of course he goes through the whole thing of who he is. Then he says they that wait. Waiting on God is not sitting around doing nothing. Waiting on, I mean, waiting on God is waiting, but it's not just sitting around twiddling your thumbs. When God does something, no, waiting, it really means to wait with expectation. It means to, I'm, I'm waiting to see God move. That's what it means. I'm still going to do what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm still going to be applying myself to the last thing he told me to do. But I'm waiting with expectation. I'm waiting to see God move and how he's going to move. I'm waiting. And if you if you live your life with expectation, another song Don wrote, if you live your life with expectation of God moving in your life, he says he will give you strength. He'll renew your strength. You'll mount up with wings like eagles. I could stand some of that. How about you? And then the last thing that I'm convinced of is that regardless of who wins the election is our mandate will remain the same. Your mandate and my mandate will not change. And that mandate is go, therefore. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our mandate has been and will be to go and make disciples, to advance the good news of the kingdom of God into people's lives and people's hearts so that lives are changed so that the kingdom grows 
And so that we can, we can baptize them, then we can teach them. Whatever God's taught you, teach it to them. Say, I can't, I can't disciple anybody. Whatever God's taught you, teach it to somebody else. If God's, if God's taught you that you're a knucklehead, teach somebody else that God thinks that they're a knucklehead too. And don't be a knucklehead. How, that's not hard. You, you know, when we talk about making disciples, we think we gotta have a seminary degree. No. We don't need to, as a matter of fact, sometimes that gets in the way. To make disciples is just to cause someone to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And he says, teach them whatever I've commanded you. What have you, what are you, what has God done in your life? Well, teach that to somebody else. Pay it forward. But the last part's the best part. Of course, it, someone made a joke that they don't fly because the Bible says, lo, I'm with you always. But, I figured you'd get that if I waited a minute. But he said this, I am with you how long? Always. Until an election? Always. I'm with you as long as the election goes the way you want it to? Always. I'm with you if the donkey wins. I'm with you if the elephant wins. Always. Always. So, again, I have an, I have an interest in what happens in our community. I have an interest in who might, you know, be elected in all these different elections, not just the, the main one. And I'm going to vote accordingly, but on November the 4th, I've still got this mandate. I've still got this mandate from God, regardless. And so do you. What's going to happen if blank wins the election? God will still be on the throne. And we'll be just fine. Stand with me.